You're listening to the Black Eagles podcast with Sinan Schwarting and Kan Bayazit. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 59 of Besiktas International's The Black Eagles Podcast. I am your host, Sinan Schwarting, live from New York City. And I'm only here briefly. Uh, today we've got another special, this time short, and I promise, short episode featuring a guest. Again, Khan is our interviewer today. And he's interviewing Alex Kirkland. Alex Kirkland is a broadcast journalist and football commentator for Real Madrid TV. So he's an expert on all things Real Madrid uh, and obviously a native English speaker. And Khan has gotten him to come on and talk all about Guti in his work with Real Madrid as a coach, specifically. Obviously, we all know he was a great success as a player. So he's come on to say a little bit about what Guti could show us as a coach going forward should we decide to pick him up as our next coach. Now this is of course relevant right now as news filters in of Mircea Luchescu's firing from the, the Turkish national team. This is confirmed <clears throat> and it is widely speculated and almost I'd say 95% in the bag that Şenol Güneş will be next in line. He will be the coach for the Turkish national side. Now, the speculation is that he might sort of have that dual role of national team coach and, you know, finish out his contract with Besiktas, you know, meaning till the end of this season. Even still, this is a relevant conversation because then we're still going to be back where we would be right now looking for a coach. But there's there are lots of other rumors. There are rumors, of course, that Guti would be next in line, which is why he was brought in. Uh, this was fueled furthermore by the quitting uh, by of Ilhan Mansis last week when he stepped down. Many people thought maybe that was a sign that Guti had been selected as the heir to Chanel Gunesh. Uh, there's also, there have been uh, quite a few rumors about Tamer Tuna coming in. I mean, a number of rumors, but we won't get too much into that this episode. I'll wait till Khan is here and we can kind of go into detail on all of those rumors. But what we will do is go really deep into detail on what kind of a coach Guti could be for Besiktas, should he get the role. So without further ado, I present to you Khan Bayazit, live from Belgium, interviewing Alex Kirkland, I'm assuming live from Madrid, Spain, via Skype. And so yeah, thank you to Khan for getting him. Thank you, Alex, for coming in. And Black Eagles podcast followers, listeners, we present to you this interview. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Black Eagles podcast. Today, we're going to talk a little bit more about Guti, given the fact that Chanel Gunesh might be on his way out with Mircea Luchescu being sacked as Turkish national team coach on Monday. And here to talk to me about Guti's 
coaching capabilities is Alex Kirkland, a Spanish football expert and also commentator for Real Madrid TV. He's watched a lot of Real Madrid's youth games uh, that, and Guti was of course coach of uh, Real Madrid's youth teams uh, from 2013 to 2018. So he'll be able to give us a, some keen insights on uh, Guti as a coach. Alex, thank you very much and welcome to the show. It's my pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. And thank you for coming on. Um, so, Alex, first and foremost, what type of a coach would you describe Guti as? It's an interesting one. I think the first thing to say is that to a lot of people here in Madrid, it was maybe a surprise that he became a coach at all. Uh, because if you think back to the kind of player that he was, I mean, you guys will know he was hugely talented. He was kind of a flair player. Um, the criticism that he got sometimes, certainly here in Spain, was that he wasn't always consistent, that he didn't always make the most of that talent. Uh, he was quite a big character off the pitch as well. He was a big fan of the Madrid nightlife. And so he wasn't necessarily one of those players. You know, there are some players who you just know that they're going to become a coach after they finish playing. You can see that they've, they've got that there. You know, someone like Pep Guardiola, you could tell when he was a player, he was the kind of player that you thought this guy could make a good coach. Guti wasn't necessarily that kind of guy. And when he finished playing, um, he went into the media here. He was on the radio. He was on the TV. And there wasn't necessarily a sign that, that he was going to become a, a coach. So first of all, that came as, as something of a surprise. It is a, a fairly common route that Real Madrid like to get former players involved as, as coaches in the youth system. Uh, you've seen it before, Guti. You've seen it since, uh, for example, at the moment, you've got people like Xavi Alonso and Raul, who are coaches of Real Madrid youth teams as, as well. So that's a, fairy, a fairly common thing. But when Guti started coaching, there, there were some, some question marks or just a bit of mystery, I suppose, about uh, would he be a good coach and what kind of, what kind of coach would he be? And you have to say, in the, the time that he was a Real Madrid youth coach, he impressed everybody and he kind of answered that, that question, that he, was, he had the, the ability to be a, a really good coach. His teams always performed. They did really well. Now, of course, the, the caveat there is that Real Madrid's youth teams almost always do well by their very nature because youth football here in Spain is, is regionalised. So most of Real Madrid youth teams' games are against other teams from the Madrid region. So you've got games, of course, against Atletico. Uh, you'll play against, I don't know, Getafe or Leganes or Rayo. But then the other games are against much smaller clubs from the Madrid region as well. And so Real Madrid's youth teams are expected to win every game. I mean, even more so than the first team are expected to win every game. So any Real Madrid youth coach, you have to take that into account that a lot of the games aren't, um, aren't necessarily of the, well, the opposition aren't necessarily of the, of the highest standards. However, even by, by those standards, Guti excelled. And in fact, he broke records. He did things as a coach that, that no Real Madrid youth coach had ever done before. Uh, for example, when he was in charge of the under-19s, which is called Juvenil A uh, here in Spain, which is the most kind of senior of the youth teams before you get to the, to the B team, to Real Madrid Castilla, uh, he broke records with them. He did the treble with them, which no coach had ever won before. Uh, that treble basically was winning the league, winning the, the, the group that his um, Juvenil A were, were in, and then going on to win uh, the Copa de Campeones and the Copa del Rey, the Champions uh, Cup and uh, the King's Cup. And no youth coach had ever done that before. So that was when people were taking notice and thinking, wow, Guti might have something special. Uh, the one thing he didn't manage to do the one thing that was kind of outstanding on his to-do list as a Real Madrid youth, youth coach was success in, in Europe. Of course, you've got the UEFA Youth League now, which is a huge success, the youth version of the Champions League, and they didn't manage to, to win that. So that was the one frustration. But otherwise, he was hugely successful. He then, after that treble winning season, 
uh, had another year, 2017, 2018. And it was then that he decided to, to leave. There had been lots of speculation, you know, was he ready to step up and take charge of the B team, take charge of Castilla? And that couldn't happen because at that time, Santi Solari was still in the job. Now, of course, ironically, as it turned out, Guti left and then Santi Solari ended up taking over the first team. And there would have been a spot there for, for Guti with Castilla. But understandably, he felt like for his progression, he had to maybe leave the, the club and, and go elsewhere. And that's exactly what he did. And uh, before, uh, in the summer, when uh, Loptegui took over at Real Madrid, um, there was also mention of, of Guti even being named, uh, specu speculation, um, of him taking over the first team. Uh, and, and then again, when, when Loptegui got sacked a couple of months ago, uh, but Solari, of course, ended up taking over, as you already alluded to. How serious do you think he was considered for that for that job if Solari was kind of ahead of him in the pecking order? Do you think he ever really was seriously considered? I mean, there was certainly a lot of speculation about it in the media. They were talking about it a lot here and they were talking about it as a serious possibility. Um, yes, the issue would have been, as you rightly say, Solari was kind of next in, in the pecking order because generally the idea is that, um, you know, Real Madrid are a club that like to promote from within. We've seen that a lot with coaches moving from uh, from the B team to the to the first team. Uh, it's happened now with Solari. It happened before with Zidane. It's happened in the past as, as well. Um, but the pecking order is very much that. You know, you tend to go from Castilla, the B team, to the first team. And so if Guti had been appointed kind of leapfrogging Santi Solari, uh, that would have been maybe interpreted certainly as a, as a snub to Solari because the idea would be that he was sort of the man in in, in waiting. Uh, nonetheless, there was a, a lot of discussion about it. And certainly the, the, the media here were taking it seriously that Guti could take over, not least because, look, Guti is a is a hero among Real Madrid fans. Real Madrid fans still sing Guti's name at the, at the Bernabeu all these all these years later after he's finished playing. So he would have been a popular choice in, in that sense. But I think maybe being realistic, it, it would have been a, a step too soon and a huge step up. You know, you have seen, like I say, coaches like uh, Zidane, and Solari going from Castilla, the B team, to the first team. But that's that's a, a different thing, at least when you're coaching the B team, that is senior football. And of course, B teams here in Spain are integrated into the professional league structure. So Real Madrid's B team, Castilla, they play in the third tier of Spanish football. Um, so it's senior football, it's not youth football. And so the jump, it's still a big jump, but it's less of a big jump. So I think the feeling is it would have been too much of a jump to go straight from youth football, straight to the Real Madrid first team. And so I think it was understood that, no, Guti probably needed another, well, at least another interim step before making that leap. And so it was understood that he might want to go on and, and, and become an assistant coach elsewhere, which, as you say, is exactly what happened. Yeah, and it made sense for him to go and be an assistant coach at the only other club he ever played for as a player. Um, and, and it was kind of received here in Turkey. Uh, well, here, I say. I, I live in Belgium. So over in Turkey, it was kind of received as a, he's the next in line. Probably he's being brought in for Şenol Güneş, who was has already been being linked with the Turkish national team for quite a while, uh, more than a year at least. Uh, before Lucescu even took the job, Şenol Güneş was heavily rumored. And uh, back then, uh, Beşiktaş kind of said no. Um, but it was clear that that Şenol Güneş's future would lay with the Turkish national team, and I think that that Kuti and many people think this that he was brought in to first work as an understudy under Güneş, get reacquainted with the league, with the mentality, all that kind of stuff, uh, get to know the types of football that that the opposition in the league plays, so that he's ready once he takes over. Um, that's 
kind of what I'm still thinking is going to happen. There's lots of rumors of other people being linked with the job, but for me, it makes perfect sense for Guti to take that job. Uh, and here, we, we've heard that Guti did a good job at um, Real Madrid for their youth teams, but we don't really know anything more than that. We don't know what's his coaching style like, what kind of philosophy, what type of lineup does he prefer? Does he prefer a pressing type of football? Is he... Yeah, what type is he a very modern coach? Is he more old school? Can you tell us a little bit more about his tactical uh, ability? Yeah, I think the first thing to say is in terms of his mentality, I mean, he is a winner and he is hugely demanding. And you could see that from uh, he was he's that kind of coach on the touchline, you know, very active, spends a lot, spends a lot of time on, on his feet, uh, very, very hands on. Like I say, he has that winning mentality and he wants to see that in his players as as well. Certainly with the with the young players, you, and you, I mean, you see this a lot. Of course you do, because it's that crucial stage of a young player's development. But you did see him being really hands on and talking them through games and giving them quite what looked like detailed kind of one to one instructions at times. And they did seem to really take it on in terms of the way that his teams played. He displayed a certain degree of, of flexibility as a, as a coach in terms of system and in terms of style, I think. Now, of course, all Real Madrid youth teams, there are certain kind of unifying principles that you're expected to to adhere to. You know, you couldn't be a Real Madrid youth coach and, I don't know, start playing long ball football and just kind of punting the ball up to the centre forward. I don't think you'd last very long. Um, you're expected to play a kind of passing football. You're expected to keep the ball on the on the deck. So, of course, his teams did that. Um, he tended to play with a back four rather than a, a back three. He would switch it around on occasion. I did see his teams play with a, with a back three once or twice maybe, but it was the exception uh, rather than the rule. I mean, it tended to be a 4-3-3 playing with, with two uh, wingers and, and a centre forward. I mean, it's not very common these days that you'll see any teams playing with, with two centre forwards, is it? But you certainly don't in the Spanish, in the Real Madrid youth system. It's almost always one central player and then two wide players and then a, a midfield three. And the configuration of the midfield three would switch around, but sometimes it would just be the one holding player and sometimes it would be two. With Guti's teams, it tended to be a 4-3-3 uh, with one holding midfielder, uh, so a fairly conventional 4-3-3, with, and then two more uh, kind of freer, more offensive-minded midfielders, and then a front three, as I say. But yeah, there was also a certain degree of, of flexibility there. Like I say, in, with youth football, of course, I think as a coach, you don't necessarily get to fully express your coaching ideas because you're working with kids, you know, you're working with young players. And I suppose that there is a limit in terms of kind of tactical concepts and how much you want them to take on board. You couldn't necessarily be coaching, you know, the under 17s, the under 18s, the under 19s and try and um, implement a coaching style. I don't know, as as radical as, as that of, uh, of what Pep Guardiola does at Manchester City or something like that, because it might just be too much, too much information almost for these youngsters to to take on. And I'm not sure that Gucci is that kind of coach anyway. Like I say, looking at him, the kind of person he is, the kind of character he is. I mean, it's not to say that he couldn't be uh, details orient orientated, but I'm not sure he's necessarily that kind of, of thinker about football. But also, like I say, it's, it's so early in his coaching career and having only worked with, with young players, it's hard to say how many conclusions we can draw about him as a, as a coach as a whole. Because also, like I say, the background is that he wasn't necessarily a player that we expected to to go into coaching. Um, he wasn't one of those those guys when he was a player that was kind of super professional and always had his mind on the on the job. So in a way, everything about his coaching career so far has been something of a of a surprise. And there's no reason to think that he won't continue to surprise us. 
Yeah, and it's some, something that uh, I've heard a lot from uh, some of our fans that, that worry that, look, he's a guy that could have come to training intoxicated at times. Uh, how professional is he really going to be? And mm. I, honestly, I tell those people, you really can't judge um, a coach based on their playing career. We've seen it quite frequently. Although I do have to say that in most cases, you don't see a lot of strikers going into the coaching uh uh, yeah, the coaching job and, and being very successful. Usually we're seeing more the, the more midfielders, defensive players that, that become the big uh, successful coaches. But for example, in, in Belgium right now, I don't know if you've seen a lot of racing gangs games this season. Um, <laughs> I, can't, I can't say I have. <laughs> well, they have a coach called Philippe Clément and he used to be um, a very um, quote-unquote boring player someone who rarely ever gave interviews uh, and he came across as a very uh, yeah just a boring player so people really didn't expect of him to play the type of football that he has his team play right now which is absolutely phenomenal attacking football with great counter-attacking ability kind of you know like uh, Real Madrid did a couple of years ago um, very yeah just works out perfectly everyone needs, seems to know their job uh, it's, it's 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 breathtaking to watch for a Belgian team um and, and that's something i try to tell people as well like don't go put too much uh, weight into what a player was like as, as uh, you know in this playing career because their coaching ability could be very different different i mean a player always tr plays to their strengths but one player understands the game and there's so many other players that you know you just see you watch them on the pitch and you know you know that when a guy like if he would, they would have like a guy like Pep talking to them, they'd be like, oh, you know, when, when there's a, the, the team debriefing going on, there's just, you know, there's a couple of those players that just zone out. Uh, yeah, problem. I think there are two things that we can say, aren't there, with, with absolute certainty. One is that being a great player doesn't make you a great coach, because yeah. we've seen lots of examples of, of really great players who've been really terrible coaches <laughs> yes. and vice versa. And the other thing is that the type of player that you are as a player doesn't determine the type of coach you are or the way that your team play because yes again we've seen examples of of players who are really exciting players and their teams have been kind of boring to watch mm -hmm. and the other way around as well so yeah i agree also look people grow people develop and, and people change and the kind of guy that Gucci was when he was a player and yes you know i'm sure a lot of the the things that people say in in, in turkey about um the kind of guy that he was off the pitch they say the same things in in madrid believe mm -hmm. believe me um but yeah people people grow and people change and people mature and, and I'm sure that's that's been his case as well. And I think you're right. We can't necessarily judge uh, judge him as a coach by the kind of guy that he was, uh, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. So have you ever heard of perhaps uh, any of the youth players mention him in particular? Like, you know, he really made me better or something like that. Or he taught me a lot. Something like that. I think that the main thing I would say is that you could see that they looked up to him as as an idol frankly, and they, they, they respected and, and borderline worshipped him. Even though, I mean, for a lot of these youngsters, because you think about the, the age difference, you know, they might not remember when he was in his pomp as a, as a player, even though we're talking about, uh, you know, 10, 10, 15 years ago, something like that. For a lot of these kids, because he was in charge of, uh, you know, under 17, under 18, under 19 level, they simply wouldn't remember those days. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, they might have seen the clips. They might have seen some stuff on YouTube. They might have seen the, the famous back heel. Assist, yeah, the back whatever. heel indeed. Um, but that say. might be about it. But even then, even so, he is still a legend here in Madrid. He's a massive name here. Like I say, the Real Madrid fans still sing his name 
at the Bernabeu. And so the kids were aware of that. And you could definitely see that they looked up to him. They respected him. They idolized him when he was talking. They would they would listen. Um, so that is un- undoubtedly true. And especially with with young players. I mean, I think that's half the, the battle won. If you've got their attention and if you've got their their respect and they are listening to you, then I think that's the, the most important thing. So he certainly had that with the with the young players. He would have that here as well. I think if he were to to come back to Madrid in some sort of more senior capacity, that would that would also be true. And from what I know about about his kind of his reputation, his fame in in Turkey, I know that he was only there for a short time. But my understanding is that he was a he was a popular figure in his in his time there. And, you know, I, I see on on social media, he'll still get plenty of messages from from fans over there and and that kind of thing. So he might well have a, a degree of that respect there as well. But certainly here in Madrid, he remains an absolute legend, maybe more so than people might think, maybe more so because, you know, although he was a, a big player for that Real Madrid team, in the 2000s, he wasn't always an automatic starter. Sometimes he was, he was in and out of the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but despite that, he really is a legend here. Yeah, and, and he's always stayed in touch with the fans in Turkey uh, via social media, even you know predating his his coaching career. So I, I wouldn't say it's uh, him just trying to plant those seeds uh, to get a job there. Uh, I think he really genuinely liked uh, the attention and, and and appreciated the fans. It always has, I think, because even though he might have not left on the on the best notes in the club at, at the time with the, that that board that's bit, that's gone by the way. Because uh, in Turkey it's a similar system as in, in Spain where you have a socio type of system so presidents get elected and all that kind of stuff um, but uh, yeah he's always stayed in touch with the fans so that's uh, very important that's also why I think people are very receiving of him now another thing I'd like to ask you is when you watched their games when you watched uh, Guti's teams play did you see any particular emphasis on for example set pieces or something or would their main source of finding goals really be combination football you already mentioned that a little bit earlier that that was something he'd uh, well that's something every is expected of, of a coach at, at Real Madrid youth team but do you, what, what do you think, did he put a, an emphasis, maybe overly so, on one aspect of the game? Or did he really um, uh, distribute his attention on all different aspects of, of, of the game? I wouldn't say, I mean, I wouldn't say that set pieces stood out necessarily. I would say it, it's more about what, what you were saying there, that kind of a quick passing combination play looking to to make those quick transitions and get the ball upfield and get into the box and and score that way uh, rather than set pieces or or, or anything else naturally the the Real Madrid youth teams that he was coaching as I say were were really really talented and often more talented than the teams they were they were playing against as well so there wasn't necessarily a a reliance or a need to kind of rely on set pieces most often they could kind of outplay uh, the opposition because they were superior in in terms of uh, of talent but yeah, I would say in, in terms of style, it would be about that. It would be about uh, playing that kind of playing a, a kind of quick passing football, one touch movement, the kind of football that a lot of football fans in, enjoy seeing. But like I say, you know, we have to remember that you can't necessarily draw too many conclusions uh, from his time as a as a Real Madrid youth coach, just because it is youth football. Like I say, quite often they are playing against inferior opposition until they get to those latter stages of the comp- of the season the when they're going for the, the trophies that I that I talked about and in Europe in the in the Europa Youth League as, as well so it's hard to draw too many conclusions and it's hard to say how much you know he was necessarily able to do exactly what he would like to do given the fact that he was working with 
with, with young players. I think the only way to really form any concrete conclusions about him as a as a coach is to see him in in senior football. Now, whether that is is in Turkey, whether that's here in if he comes back to Madrid and would get a chance maybe with with Castilla, because I don't think he's necessarily burnt any bridges there. I think there are possibilities to to come back and and coach the the B team. I don't think that him leaving in search of new opportunities was seen as any kind of snub. I think, like I say, it was seen as being the next step in his development. So I do think it's only really once he's been in charge of at senior level that we can really draw too many conclusions. So let's say he's successful in Turkey if he gets the job. Would you see Real Madrid come knocking on his door in, say, two to three years if they need a new coach? Would he be a logical candidate, you think? He would certainly be talked about. Now, how much of that would be kind of media talk and kind of the fans liking the idea of it and how much would be from within the club, I I don't know. I think it's certainly true to say that someone like Santi Solari, who's now in charge, you know, he had been looked at and he, it was known that he was someone who uh, was close to, to the board and, and the president and they liked him and they saw him as being one for the future for, for a long time. I don't know if you can necessarily say that about, about Guti. That's not to say there's not a good relationship there because any of these former players that are brought into the youth system and work as, as coaches, like I say, that, that happens for a reason. It doesn't happen with every player. It happens with players that they expect big things of in terms of coaching that they want to have around the club. The same goes right now. Uh, like I, as I mentioned, for Xavi Alonso and Raul. Uh, those are the two that are coaching at the moment. I think it's the under-14s and the under-15s or, or something like that. So they've got a little while to go. They're kind of starting mm -hmm. off where Guti started at the, at the start of his time at the academy. And they will. They, what tends to happen is that a coach tends to progress at sort of year by year. So the idea with, with Raul and Xavi Alonso is that they'll move up you know, with the under-16s, the under-17s, the under-18s, just like Guti did when, when he was here. So those are the two names right now that everyone's excited about here. And also because of the, their status and because of the kind of guys that they are, I think everyone expects someone like Xavi Alonso to be a top coach because mm -hmm. he worked with, if you think about the coaches that Xavi Alonso worked with as a, as a player, he worked with everybody and all different styles, you know, from Pep Guardiola to Rafa Benitez to Jose Mourinho. He learned so much. And so those are names that are talked about as being maybe not in the short term, but in the medium term, certainly potentially the future for, for Real Madrid. Gucci may well come back into that conversation Unless there's the feeling that maybe, you know, if, if it was going to happen, would it have happened in the in the summer? Has that that chance gone? Like I said, I don't think he's burnt any bridges at all. And I certainly think he would be in the conversation. But I don't know if he would necessarily be absolutely top of the list. And like I say, if I had to mention one or two names who are kind of club legends, former players who are going to be in the mix in the next, maybe they're not, not in the next year or two, but maybe a little bit further off the field, maybe three years or something like that, you might be talking about someone like Xavi Alonso or someone like Raul. And then to end my questioning of you, Alex, um, did you notice any particular weaknesses in his coaching style? Uh, for example, how come the youth league didn't end up in success? Uh, how did he perform in, in the games versus Barcelona, perhaps in the Copa del Rey or so? Because you did mention that the league system was regionalized. So uh, I don't know how many games they actually ended up playing against clubs like Barcelona or Valencia. Uh, but uh, could you mention a little bit about his, his coaching ability in, in the big games against tougher opposition? And, and how come their Euro European campaigns ended in uh didn't end in success yeah the uefa youth league has been has been tough and it has kind of you know eluded real madrid in recent years quite often they've got through to what they call the final four the the semi-finals and they haven't taken that next step 
as I recall, I think they got really undone. It may be in, in his second season or maybe his first with the under-19s. There was a bit of, you know, a bad day at the office, some catastrophic defending. And they I think they conceded a couple of early goals. Maybe they switched off a little bit. It wasn't necessarily anything you could say that was Guti's fault. It was his responsibility. It was just a, a bad game against a, against a good team. In terms of the, playing the best teams here, of course, they do play Atletico Madrid, uh, you know, in their, in their group, in their Madrid group in the, in the league, uh, home and away every, every season. And it's funny, the Atletico Madrid youth teams, they really are mirror images of the, of the first team. You know, they, they play the way that Diego Simeone's Atletico play. And that was where uh, Guti's uh, team would have some problems in the same way that, that you might see the Real Madrid first team have some problems too. I think I remember, I think it was in 2016, 2017, where Guti's under-19s basically went the whole, game, uh, the whole season unbeaten domestically, but they did lose to Atletico Madrid. I think, it was in, I think it was in early 2017. And I think that was, I mean, you know, it's a Madrid derby. It was feisty. Maybe things got a bit out of hand. I mean, the one thing to watch with Guti is that kind of, that kind of temper of his, you know, that, that he had as a, as a player. I think he's still got that as a, as a coach as well. And I talked about him being animated on the touchline. If it's one thing to keep an eye on with him, it's maybe letting that get away from him, you know? And I think, you know, you don't be at all surprised to see some bust-ups on the touchline there. Uh, but with, you know, with opposition coaches or with referees, you know, he was never reluctant to make his uh, feelings known, certainly, to the, to the referee if he wasn't happy with, with something. So keep an eye on, on that as well, because he is that kind of character. You know, he is a slightly combustible character. And so in terms of, of weaknesses, it's not necessarily a coaching weakness, but it's maybe something to keep an eye on. Uh, that temper of his and, and how well he is able to control it. Well, Alex, thank you very much for all your insights. I think we really learned a great deal. And uh, I think that this will probably um, be something that a lot of fans will be happy to hear. Uh, I think a lot of our fans expect us to go back to a combination style football. I think we have the players now with, with Shinji Kagawa, Adam Yaic, uh, and a lot of other talents that we do have. So, uh, Because Bishes have been playing a little bit over... Their play has been a little overemphasized on just getting the ball to Ricardo Quaresma on the right and then just crossing it in. And that's something that's been frustrating fans for the last two seasons or so because Chanel Gunish has such an unwavering loyalty to Quaresma. And, you know, I'm, I, I love Quaresma, great player, um, but I don't think he should be the most important player at his age. And I don't think that a team should rely overly on one tactic. Uh, so hopefully... Guti does take over because from what you have told me, I, I think he definitely could possess the skill set to uh, be successful uh, and, and we'd be in for some, some fun football. Um, but yeah, thanks Alex. Do you have anything you want to plug? Where can people find you on Twitter? Where can they follow you? Do you have any projects of your own that you might want to plug here? Well, look, they can follow me on Twitter at Alex Kirkland. And yeah, I uh, produce the Spanish football podcast. If any of your listeners are into La Liga and Spanish football, uh, give us a follow on Twitter. It's at TSF underscore podcast. And look for the Spanish football podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Acast, all the usual places that you get your podcast that I recommend checking out. Definitely give them a sub. Maybe give them an iTunes review as well, guys. And um, yeah, thanks again, Alex. And thank you for listening to the Black Eagles podcast. Um, and we'll be back soon. All right. Very nice. 
So thank you to Alex Kirkland for coming in. Khan, great job interviewing as always. Great job getting only the most illustrious guests for our Black Eagles podcast listeners. Keeping you guys the most informed quadrant of the Besiktas Twitterverse. As always, um, thank you so much, Alex Kirkland, for coming in. And yeah, fascinating stuff. Should be interesting to see what kind of news pops up in the next few days as far as who our coach will be going forward. Um, <clears throat> I think the bookies would have Chanel Gunesh as favorite to finish out the year, but we shall see. And we'll talk plenty with Khan um, as that becomes relevant. Um, yeah, that's it. I'm taking this out. That's it's just me. So there's no I can't call Khan in to do it. So yeah, everybody, listen in. Tune in to our upcoming episode. Beshtash will be on the road in Malatya facing Yeni Malatya Sport. They're playing Friday, so stay tuned to that. 12:30 p.m. here in New York City, Eastern Standard Time, which I mean I believe means it's going to be 6:30 p.m. for those of you in Istanbul. 5.30 for Khan, maybe 5.30 and 4.30, I'm not exactly sure on that, but anyway, stay tuned to, uh, to hear what we have to say post-match, as always, um, it's a big match for us, Yanni Malachi is still sort of scraping in there, keeping themselves relevant in the Super League, they're in fourth place now at the end of uh, the last match, match day, uh, they have 34 points right behind us, Besiktas, who have 36 points. Uh, Vestash is now three points back on Galatasaray, who have 39 points, and of course nine points back on Bashakshi here. But so yeah, if we're gonna stay in this thing, we gotta beat Yeni Malatyaspor on the road. So should be exciting. I look forward to it, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to present to you guys our post-match re- response to the whole thing. Beyond that, follow us on Twitter. At Eagles underscore podcast, follow our mothership at Besiktas underscore INT for all the latest news. Stay posted on all the coach rumors to be upcoming. I'm sure they'll be flying in fast and heavy. Follow Khan at R-A-Z-Z-E-R-I-N, Razarian. Follow our guest, today's special illustrious guest, Alex Kirkland, at Alex Kirkland. A-L-E-X-K-I-R-K-L-A-N-D. No spaces. Follow me, your host, Sinan Schwording, at Sir underscore rights underscore a lot. Uh, Yeah, and that's it. Keep yourself healthy. Keep yourself hydrated. Spring is nearly upon us, and this season is just kicking into high gear. So, we'll see you guys on the weekend. And until then, go Besiktas! See you guys.
Besiktas International hopes you enjoyed this program.